0: Hello, Global Citizens. Welcome to another episode of Global Talks. Borrowing the words of Professor Dmitry Koshinov, few concepts are as seemingly self-evident and at the same time as deeply misunderstood as citizenship. Take this statement a bit further, it's fair to say that citizenship by investment is a concept that has received a fair share of misunderstanding, Often reported over a villainous narrative that rarely scratches the surface of its true meaning. Industry players have framed citizenship by investment programs as a path to freedom, mobility, and security for investors. When you flip the coin, the country offering the CBI grants a second citizenship in exchange for financial contribution to the country's economy. It may sound like a simple equation, a no brainer, but there's a multitude of factors that require a more nuanced view on the role of citizenship by investment in the global economy. So, this episode will delve into the role of CBI programs in a world that has been changing fast. We hope to spark a debate regarding the impact of these programs. And to enrich this debate, we have invited two special guests who have joined us on previous episodes. Christian Shane, editor and founder of Investment Migration Insider, Jeff D. Opdyke, editor of International Living Magazine, and Patricia Kazaburi, CEO of Global Citizen Solutions. Welcome, all of you. Thanks for being here again. Patricia and Christian in our studios, and Jeff, all the way from Prague, correct?
1: Yes, all the way from Prague.
0: Great, excellent. So guys, I know um, the role of citizenship by investment in the global economy. It's a very broad topic, and um, so before we started um, thinking about this, this episode, Patricia and I, we sat down and we thought how we're we going to organize this topic on a way that we can delve into very interesting um, um, nuance of, um, of the CBIs. And, um, and we thought of running the whole episode into um, around one question and then divide it into topics um, because as you know, we have enough juice here for a series on CBI. Uh, here's an idea for you, Christian, for your podcast. Um, but yeah, so let's start. The question is, How do CBI programs affects, affects the political, social and economic development of a country and specifically What are some of the broader economic implications of citizenship by investment? So I'd like to bring this to the table now to hear from all of you, how this, uh, how this dichotomy works and, and how we could uh, maybe think about the investor as the investor choosing, how they should choose programs and how nations could create those programs. Uh, let me see if there's something else here, another insight, because we know the citizenship by investment programs will bring some funds which are needed for a country that it could um, work um, in the benefit of the country and the investors as well. Who wants to talk first? I mean, there's so
2: many, there's a multitude of countries and programs, and it's very hard to take a, a kind of a simplistic approach to it without delving into the motivations of each country Mm -hmm. um so Mm -hmm. if you look at the let's let's park Europe for a bit because i think europe comes with a whole different set of things but look at the caribbean structure of cbi programs and then you have the investors again like you mentioned for a number of reasons um they'll sort up to two pursue second nationality, and it may be because they want an entry um, to be able to invest in you know, other U2 in the U.S., so they just want a little bit more uh, mobility if they were born in a country that that is quite cumbersome to get travel visas and so on. Um, often we find that investors are kind of uh, vilified uh, for doing something like this. My idea is um, that a lot of way to kind of frame this conversation in a really positive way, the future, like a good path for, for programs is to look, um, it, you know, and it's a little bit the responsibility maybe of each country of having a, a master plan of how to best employ these funds. So If you look at successful countries, again, just to stick with the Caribbean, um, that do quite well and ha- have high GDPs is to do with, obviously, one thing that all these countries have in common and uh, the positive side is, you know, a vibrant tourist industry. Um, but equally, uh, you know, countries that do well and have high GDP and a high educated population in the Caribbean are the ones that look to diversify. So might be with a fintech industry or, um, you know, trying to attract, become a business hub. Um, so I, I think partly um, there should be a little bit more transparency from the governments in these countries and have a proper plan. So look, you know, what it is that we can do. We're very close to the U.S. You know, they're uh, populated, like in the Caribbean, everyone speaks really good English. So if you ever had an opportunity to go to a Caribbean island and stay in any of the resorts or even like, you know, more local down to earth places is genuine, really good hospitality. So wouldn't that be something that you could invest and have like a really good university, I don't know, but the only way kind of forward is to invest in a way that will give long- longevity, diversification. So perhaps, um, that would be a positive way of, of framing and, and, and this transparency where actually the money. Is going.
0: So, what you're saying, Patricia, is due to the planning of the country itself, how they will plan to um, optimize the use of those funds, and um, and you also mentioned transparency there. Uh, Christian, what do you think about it? Do you think this is um, the way to go for um, nations implementing their CBI's that they also have to have a better um, planning together with, um, I don't know, that ministry of agriculture and infrastructure and, um, you know, to make a better use of these funds.
3: Well, Well, let me see if I understand your question correctly. First, are you asking what is the optimal way of structuring a citizenship by investment program so that it brings the... Okay, there are various models, right? The ones that have been tried, the ones that are common are either you you in the Caribbean, what they did, they said, "Okay, we had this sugar industry, for example, in St. Kitts, right? We had the sugar industry. It wasn't economically viable Uh, and they did they needed to close down those sugar factories or I mean, they weren't making money. And so they needed a lot of people were now suddenly unemployed and they needed somehow to raise money. Uh, either to take care of those unemployed people or to find other ways to employ them, right? And one of the ways they did that was they said, hey, we have the sugar industry diversification fund. Um, now, you can ask yourself, you know, how, how is that money? Uh, but it's very hard to get hotel financing, financing to build a hotel in the Caribbean. You know, if you're, if you're in Europe, you can go to a bank and yeah. you can get 70% loan to value at a reasonable rate. That option doesn't exist in most of these Caribbean islands, either because those economies are too small to be interesting for banks or because it's just too complicated for a variety of reasons. But um, an alternative means of financing the the development of hotels and resorts in the Caribbean, then, is to, to finance it through citizenship by investment. Now, that creates employment, and that's something that, you know, some guy from St. Kitts and Nevis can go to work at the Park Hyatt and he works there for a few years, and now he can work at a Hyatt anywhere in the world, right? He's skilled enough for that. So you have the you have the donation model, you have the real estate like designated specified types of real estate investment model, and then you have the government bond model. The government bond model is essentially i I think it's the least beneficial because you're essentially just uh providing liquidity to the government of that country, right? Yeah. So it's not so interesting. What what would I say is the, is the most, the best way of, uh, I, I don't know what the best way is, but I would say leave it up to the investor to, to, maybe you can specify an amount that should be invested, but then other, apart from that, leave it kind of flexible what they invest in because investors who really care about, you know, an investor who says, Okay, whatever. I'll invest in this development so I can get citizenship. I don't really care if this is a good business or not, because what I want is the citizenship, right? But if you say, no, no, you can invest in a variety of asset classes. I mean, we know that governments are not the best stewards of capital. Uh, certainly, much worse than the private sector on the whole, right? So, so giving it to them, leaving it in their hands, I think that's probably suboptimal.
0: No, that's a very good point. And I think what we need to think now is how um, how can the investor choose a program? How do you, um, industry players like us could um, assist in this sort of uh, choosing? Because the moment they start choosing programs that are more um, in line with their values, perhaps if they want to invest into um, sustainable projects, um, how do you get them to research? How do you um, they have access of the investors. What do you think, Jeff? I look
1: at this from the investor perspective, from the citizen perspective, because that's who I write for. Um, and I, my impression, and I think this is pretty accurate from the interviews I've, I've had, um, you have to look at who are who, who's buying these CBI programs, and it tends to be people from countries that are economically challenged, socially challenged, or politically challenged? Who are the big buyers right now? Russians, Ukrainians, the Chinese, increasingly Americans. Um, and what are they trying to do? They're trying to flee the British as well. They're trying to flee Brexit. Americans are trying to flee um, a, a destabilizing political situation and a destabilizing monetary situation. When I mean, you look at the size of the debt in America and talk now of, you know, let's, let's fight over the debt ceiling, which if that were to happen, ultimately creates a global financial catastrophe um because you have political parties in America that are so divisive these days that it's just creating uh, a bit of a of a, of a personal lifestyle and financial risk you know you have the obvious risks associated with Russia and Ukraine and you have the obvious risks associated with being a chinese citizen so i look at these programs from a perspective that they are trying to draw in people who are looking to leave their particular countries for social reasons, lifestyle reasons, political reasons, and protecting their capital. They're looking for capital insurance, effectively, personal finance insurance, by moving and, and being associated with a different country. When you look at where these programs are, where these people are fleeing to, they're fleeing to the Caribbean, they're fleeing to places like Portugal, you know, and those are those are nations where people are feeling much safer about the political situation and the safety of their capital.
0: Okay, I see. I think there's also, I'm going to drop a question now, which I think it's, um, I don't know if you're able to answer, but I was thinking from the perspective of the investor. Are there more um, imaginative ways uh, that um, countries could create, um, um, you know, illegible investments um, in Portugal, that is the cultural route. Maybe Patricia wants to talk about it. Um, it's taking
2: a long view of what it is, you know, uh, well, are we in the world, you know, and then try to apply locally and, and, and get people investing in these countries involved, that's what the real game is to be. So for instance, you know, you see in Portugal. Um, there is different paths of investment, for instance, for someone wanting to be here, um, there's a really hot potato when and talk about the real estate investment. Um, and, and kind of the immediate reaction is let's shut it down. So the immediate reaction is say, okay, let's stop this, uh, investment path and, then and, and, and quash kind of some kind of a political crisis. Rather than looking this in in a positive way, it's like how can we use that to our advantage? So why don't you say the investors um, that bought real estate in Lisbon they make their apartments available to affordable you know housing, or that um, if you invest in a project that will have really good you know uh, ecological sustainable housing, or, or it, that will kind of meet all of our kind of European and global like um, targets, what well, you're seeing with the cultural and now we're beginning to to have a, a few more options to explore, but this is actually fairly recent and we've had clients that try to to offer a grant to a university in Portugal to invest in science because they were heavily inv- involved with this university and it was very hard to get accreditation. So in the end, they they went a different direction. So there are like so many things to actually have positive impact, you know, see what can we do that will give this long-term path to, to the locals, but equally um, make the kind of the home countries, the welcoming countries, places where people want to be because that's where the real value is. Like, you know, um, when you having people move to these countries and 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 enhance... Um,
0: yeah, the community. that's that's a good point, and it will. I will connect it with GDP. But you want to talk, so you talk.
3: Look, I want make you... the connection first. Make
0: okay. the connection first. No, because I've I think... Been...
3: Both what Jeff has said and what Patricia has said has given me a lot of thoughts, but I want to hear how you this
0: um, You know, like last year, the Portuguese Prime Minister, Jeff, so do you hear... Um, announced that the uh, GV was up for revision and um, saying that it already served its purpose um, and, um, and and so on. So we have this specific example of Portugal, but I would like to not to forget other countries as well. Um, I would like to ask about this economic development. How do we translate it the CBI into um, an economic development path to a country?
3: Well, first of all, GDP. You know, if if somebody invests in Portugal or in the Caribbean, that's counted towards GDP, right? GDP, what is it? It's uh, investment plus consumption plus government spending plus uh, net imports, right? Or net exports, right? That's how you calculate GDP. So any kind of transaction is going to be calculated to the GDP. But I think what you're asking is... How does it directly benefit the the people already living in that country? Now, first of all, when it, it's always struck me as very interesting that if prices are going down, that's a that's a disaster. Like if property prices are falling, that's a oh well, that's a crisis. Mm-hmm. And if prices are going up, it's also a crisis somehow. Uh, so we have to kind of decide: is it a good thing if property prices go up, or is it a good thing if they go down? Right. And so that is already contributing to improving the lot of Portuguese people who, who are from Portugal who live here, right? So I don't I don't see any, in any case it's you know if we're talking golden visa investors, uh I mean foreigners as a whole, not just golden visa, just foreigners as a whole. I think I saw uh someone share yesterday on LinkedIn that they account for 6% of property transactions?
2: It's about 2% transactions. <laughs> 2% <of> the- <laughs> look at the numbers, like, you know, historical numbers of golden Visa. Yeah, it's very marginal. About, about 1,200 applications a year until maybe last two years. Right. That kind of, you know, was exponentially, but still talking maybe about 3,000 applications. Yeah. So if you look at the number of transactions. It's a drop in the ocean. Exactly.
3: It, it, should, it, should, it doesn't move the needle in terms of the, the property price. If people come here, they invest. That's already contributing to the economy. That's raising the GDP of Portugal. It's benefiting local people because they are the ones selling.
2: Equally, like you know, it's just different things because I often find that these programs they get vilified because they're easy targets. And it's just easy to make the you know the kind of the, the correlation about a lot of people. But recently, we're seeing a huge wave of you know, digital nomads, and, and there's, um, you see in Spain, in Malta, uh, obviously Portugal as well now, Estonia, a number of European countries, um, they're definitely seeking people to come over in what, whatever visa, you know, even if they're not putting, parting with large sums of uh, of money. That increase um, the price of everything, including coffees. Exactly. Yeah, we definitely see coffees. that now, yeah. Um, But equally, it is a slow process because the more, you know, the more companies or people coming from other areas, other countries, they'll come over and they'll be spending money slowly, but surely, and you will see an impact on, on, because I think the problem is
0: not with like people coming from abroad and, and how do you increase the salaries of the locals? How do you... Well,
3: the locals have to, the locals have to be worth more. They have to be more valuable. Their skills have to be more valuable. Okay. They have okay. to upskill. It's
1: you can't you can't legislate it. Yeah. Right?
0: Jeff, what, what do you what do you have something to say about it? I think I heard something.
1: I think Portugal serves as a pretty good example of the challenges that uh, the challenges and opportunities that exist in these programs. In that Portugal's program is obviously very popular. Um, it, it brought in six hundred forty five uh million euro last year billion whatever number it was it brought in a large number i think 645 million euro in their program last year which is not insignificant it's like 0.2 percent of the, the portuguese gdp which is you know small but not insignificant the challenge as the portuguese prime minister dealt with is like you no know, maybe this program has served its purpose because look what it's done to property prices in porto and lisbon and down in the algarve and he has a point uh, and I know that point because I'm looking to move to Portugal and see what, what property prices are today versus when I first moved to Europe in two thousand eighteen. But there's there's the you know, Portugal's trying to address it by saying, okay, from now on, you know, there's this big swath of the country that you cannot invest in and earn a a, a golden visa and you have to now go to these other other areas of the country. And I understand why they're doing that, but I think that misses a broader opportunity for Portugal, which is Allow people to go into Lisbon, allow people to go into Porto, allow them to go back into the Algarve, but designate regions within those cities where they can only go. So you're regentrifying parts of the city that need regentrification. And in doing something like that, now you're forcing the CBI people who want to own a Portuguese passport, who want to have Portuguese residency, who want to live or at least own properties with these places, you're forcing them to buy underdeveloped properties. And now they've got to take cash and bring it into the country to redevelop those properties by paying the, the craftsmen and the rebuilders and all these people to go in and rehab these properties. That becomes sort of paramount to the CBI program that Portugal puts in place. And therefore, you're not only bringing in you know, the the property value, which is only really going to benefit the property owner who sold it. Now you're benefiting all these tradesmen and craftsmen, which gets to the whole point of raising salaries. Now you're generating a way for these people to earn income by forcing CBI participants to go into, uh, gentrifying projects.
3: Oh, yeah. On this, I, I just want to continue a little bit on what, what Jeff is saying in the same vein. Um, I think there is a very simple solution. If, you, like, if you presume that the the concern is legitimate—that uh, wealthy foreigners come here and drive up property prices—if that's a real concern, then the solution is quite simple. You could simply say, investors must invest in new developments, new properties, because then you—it's like um, you were saying, Patricia, how oh the the political reflex is oh rich. Rich foreigners are coming in, driving up property prices. We need to stop that, right? We need to clamp down on that demand. The you okay. know the, the people living here, making you know eight, nine hundred euros a month, can't afford to live in Lisbon because the square meter prices are too high. So, if the foreign investor, if Portugal wants a foreign investor to you know channel money into something that makes housing more affordable, then just build new housing. Yeah.
2: And on that, in a while, Edit with really good, uh, you know, environmentally friendly construction Ah, and and things like that, you know, but so many, I I know, and we've got a lot of international companies that are setting up tech hubs, for instance, in Portugal. And there's a number of Portuguese, because Portuguese typically, or in is the same, highly educated, um, good, you know, educational institution, but people used to feel that they would graduate and they'll have to move to the UK, to to uh, Germany, to, you know, the US, whatever. Um, whereas now we have, for instance, a lot of tech guys that were moving abroad. And then with the boom of these companies coming here, they're being able they're to, to move yeah. home and get decent salaries. We can't really out. Oh, and another thing that must be said, you know, both like in Spain and Definitely in Lisbon, um, that we see it's a very close to home reality, even though we've had a whole year last year, of non golden visa investment, um, in these locations, the prices did not, um, go down at all. In fact, they, 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 they went up, um.
3: But that's not a mystery because no, Golden no. Visa is not driving the market. No,
2: actually, a lot of Europeans uh, French, drive the market, French, mar- French uh, drive the market, and and have this long view of like one day wanting to move here and, and be part of your community, of your country. Yeah. Shouldn't that be seen as a really positive thing? It's a really positive thing. thing. Uh, and, but the question should be how do you make this really um, filtered? down to, to the economy and not be used as kind
0: of cheap political, you know, argument. That's, that's a very good point because I was going to ask, you know, th- there are uh, the wishes of different political parties with the example of uh, Portugal recently, Jeff. Um, thankfully, this has not uh, come to fruition, um, but um, that just shows that there is a lot of um, lack of understanding on the political sector, nope. I don't think
3: that's nope. Cool. I think there's a certain political segment that is using a lack of understanding among the voter base to gain political capital. Yeah,
0: that's a good good point. Yeah,
3: I think they understand perfectly how politics yeah, work.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. It, you know, it, it, it There are tough conversations to to be had, but I think, and again, using London as an example, just to to kind of do the correlation, then the hardest part of obviously wasn't just that wealthy people coming in and and buying all of this kind of real estate. Um, but it was the fact that the real estate were left, um, unused for part of the year because then the local businesses suffered. So again, with everything, um, it's never that simplistic. And, and, and the conversation should be have and, and, and again, in Europe or, or, or in the Caribbean is how can everyone benefit from it? Yeah. You know, both the investor, that's a, there's that a really, uh, clear correlation because the benefit is whatever the motivation was there to, 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 you know, do this in the first place is there, uh, but for the population to actually
0: see the benefits and like Kristen said, not, not just be, um, From your experience working and writing about CBI's, do you know of any, um, any country that is really good at earmarking, um, the resources of CBI, um, going to specific developments such as like 30% of the income, will go to primary education roads and so on do you know of any country doing that now
3: um malta does it of course we're not allowed to say that malta has a citizenship program
0: yeah yeah yeah
3: <laughs> it's a citizenship policy
0: policy yeah
3: but in australia uh the for the um, significant investor visa the government says you must invest X percent in venture funds or venture venture capital. You must uh, X percent in uh, medium risk funds, and you can invest X percent in you know bonds or whatever. Okay. You you asked you know what is the best way of spending CBI money, and the truth is I don't know, but nobody knows, right? That's why. I think we should leave it up to individual investors. uh, We can can stipulate the amounts, you know, the magnitude of the investment, but I think you need for the the allocation to be efficient, for the allocation of capital to be efficient, you need to let the people whose money is at stake choose how to allocate it. A government spends someone else's money on someone else, so they're not that careful about how they spend that money. But if you spend your own money, you're much more careful. So you'll allocate it more efficiently. You'll do more research. You'll invest in a sector that you're familiar with, maybe have experience from, right? But if you tell the government to say, you know, that they're going to decide how people are going to invest, yeah, it's not going to be invested as efficiently.
0: That's some very interesting thoughts. I'd like to now go to Jeff because Jeff writes about um, investment um quite widely and i'd like to know what do you think about it is it up to the investor
1: the countries that tell you hey you can you know you can invest in government bonds or give a donation to the country or something like that that's that's stupid i would personally i would never invest like that because i trust government about as much as i trust a monkey at a banana plantation governments are horrendous at managing money and distributing capital they are absolutely horrendous at it so a program that takes an in investor money through the CBI programs and goes into the government is basically money that's wasted. Um, I would I would argue that the smartest way to approach this for a government is to say, you know, sort of going back to what I said with the Portugal thing, make the money go into rejuvenation of blighted neighborhoods, blighted warehouses, blighted industrial districts. Make the money go into, um, you know, Building a company, uh, hiring employees—you know, those are where you're going to get the best bang for the buck. Because now you're you're adding to the economy, because somebody's bringing in, and they're saying, okay, if I have to put money to work in country X, Y, Z, where is that money best going to generate a return? What industry should I be putting that money into? What neighborhood should I be looking at regentrifying if I'm going to go buy a house and I'm going to, you know, sort of. Turn this thing into a livable house again, where is it best going to generate an income for me or a profit for me? Government doesn't think that way. So it it, it comes out to the investor who thinks that way. So I would argue that the best opportunities for investors are in countries where they're telling you, Hey, come in and put money to work as you see fit.
0: That's very good. Wow, amazing sights here, guys. I uh, do you- Yeah, I agree. I think that's the best way and um, ask about, uh, with gentrification, obviously comes um, brains from other countries as well. So I want to talk about people and the human capital around CBI. Um, It's very broad. So just stay here, stick around. I will uh, formulate a question that will make sense. Um. So, um, there's also lots of talks about CBIs uh, contributing to countries with uh, uh, new uh, talents and skills. Um, so, I'd like to work on the concept that some countries that were naturally hubs for migration and what else and also the facts that, you know, countries offering the CBIs are getting this amazing new um especially tech skills coming now um given the example of portugal what are your thoughts on on cbis and and uh, and human capital i'll start with jeff
1: um i i come at this a little bit from the digital nomad visa perspective because in 2020 we saw the rise of digital nomad visas well prior to that there was no such thing as a digital nomad visa Um, and countries got really creative during the the COVID crisis. It started in the Caribbean. It started almost as a a joke. I mean, for lack of a better term, it was just a way for Caribbean countries to say, hey, Americans, you're locked at home. Come play in the Caribbean for a year, and then you can go back home again. From that has sprung a ton of digital nomad visa opportunities all over the world, and they're increasingly getting better and better and better and smarter, and smarter and smarter and smarter and more useful. So, you know, the one of the more recent ones that came out um was one in Thailand. And Thailand came out and said, hey, you know what? We're going to create this visa that basically brings in high net worth people, people who earn a real income, and we're going to give them a visa for 10 years. You know, so instead of having six months to play on the sand or a year to play on the sand somewhere in like Bahamas, Thailand is saying, hey, come to us, bring your income to us, bring your investment skills to us, and we'll let you be here for 10 years. So clearly there is a movement towards really useful visas. And I think that's probably going to filter through to the CBI programs in some degree as you see countries begin to realize, hey, we can use the CBI program to bring in real brain talent into our country, people who have high net worth, people who are earning a real income, and people who are thought leaders, and we can bring them into our country through these programs. I think you're gonna see a much more competitive landscape evolve over the remainder of this decade as countries realize this is where the real opportunity lies. Uh, like
3: eventually, I hope, we'll have citizenship programs that are kind of like digital nomad visas in, in, their, in terms of the cost. I think that citizenship by investment is way too expensive right now. I mean, right now, you have to basically be able to afford a a nice luxury car to be able to afford citizenship by investment, right? That's really unfair. You know, I wish that we could get to a point where citizenship, right, and it was available to everyone. Can you imagine, Jisan, if... If we all had multiple citizenships, can you imagine how well governments would treat us? You have to look. Look, yeah. you have to look at citizenship as a market, right? Now, right now, mm-hmm. only only a minority of countries have put their citizenship on the market. But I think over time, more and more countries will put their citizenship on the market. Maybe it won't be citizenship. Maybe they'll they'll start slowly with yeah. residency. residency. 10-year visas, and then, oh, now it's permanent residency, but eventually it'll be citizenship because it's essentially club memberships, right? And and what we want, what we want ideally, is for countries to compete for the best people because that way countries have to get better, right? You talk about brain drain. You say, is this industry contributing to brain drain? Well, certainly it is, and that's a good thing, okay? I would rather be in country B than country A. It's not like we're manipulating them somehow to go there it's like they they didn't have the choice we gave them the option and given the option they choose b right Mm -hmm. voluntarily so in their own judgment for that individual they have they have said country b is preferable to country a so if a bunch of people are leaving your country country a to go to country b that's an indictment of country A, right? So of course a lot of peop- a lot of countries that are in that group, let's say the country A group, mm-hmm. a lot of those countries would like to stop investment migration because they see it as the beginning of this trend of individuals having options. And when individuals have options, you know, like imagine if we we all had assets spread around the world. We all had Homes spread around the world. We all had multiple citizenships. We all had friends around the world. I mean, They, they, would, have to, they would have to give us the, the best treatment possible just to make sure that we stayed. And, and that's really the dream scenario here. But to get to that scenario, the, the cost of citizenship has to, has to come down.
0: Um, it's the first time I hear this parallel of um, uh, citizenship and a members' club, and it totally makes sense the supposedly brain drain which is not really because this brain could be working anywhere it's the consumption of the body that ends up somewhere else and
3: the brain by the way sorry for interrupting, but the brain doesn't belong to country a
0: absolutely yes I totally
3: right agree, they don't yeah. own it yeah if the if brain if the brain wants to move the brain should be allowed to move yeah. right so yeah, investment migration punishes countries that are not doing what they should be doing to to make conditions more livable, right? Maybe it's maybe they have mm-hmm. maybe you know, taxes are too high. Maybe maybe there's too much violence. Mm-hmm. Maybe there is you know political infighting. Maybe I don't blame Norway for that. Some people will move for the weather, but but the the point still stands, right? It's uh, if we want countries to get better. It, if you, if you want any market to improve, just introduce competition.
0: But should you have
2: some thoughts about it? Yeah. Share. Also, just kind of um, agree with uh, both uh, Christian and um, Jeff's comments on that. But I think it's also important on this kind of brain drain concept and digital nomads um, to make distinctions as well and to make things, you know... in i actually see the path or or the future for that on the residency types of of programs um and then what we are seeing in the kind of the new digital nomads that we uh, in europe for instance they still it's just like the physical being that will be spending here because one of the kind of criteria for this business is that actually they have jobs from far away so they just need to have a release from their companies or be self-employed and doing their own thing with like consistent kind of in a certain amount of, of, of um, uh, income and, and then they'll be okay. Um, I, I agree in, in migration. So, and I think it should be freely it, to a certain extent, then there's a lot of things happening with like, um, ETAs and, and, and how global verifications will work and Maybe one day we'll evolve for something a little bit more. Um, trying to to kind of really ban or bar um, the right uh, types of people, and by right types of people, I mean you know. Um...
3: If you did, if you, <laughs> if you did, it would have been the size of a brick, right? And it would have cost you fifteen thousand dollars, right? But today, little kids in Ethiopia have smartphones, right? And it's because some people with rich people were were willing to pay stupid money for bricks of, of a phone in the 80s that provided the R&D capital necessary to <clears throat> bring down the cost of, of smartphones until we're at a point now where little kids in Ethiopia have. But eventually, the fact that okay, there are buyers, for there's a demand, a monetary demand for citizenship yeah. that'll bring more countries online in this market, and that'll drive down the cost until eventually little kids in Ethiopia can buy citizenship. That would be fair, mm-hmm. right? That's that's the scenario we want to get to. And you say, okay, is, is it utopian? Yeah. But in the 1980s, it was utopian to think that. I think, yeah. Right?
2: Yeah. But also, if you look at the moment that we are going through worldwide in terms of um you know individual countries will be fighting to attract people that can actually you know contribute so because you'll be less uh imports you'll be less reliant on imports you you so mm, there will be that and we're seeing like you know the tech industry is the easiest one to talk about it because and you see in agriculture you you, you Get the know-how. You get the people that are good at it, and you want to attract. us. if it's something that your country has no history or 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 um or knowledge of certain industries, but suddenly becomes a need, you will seek these people out. And we're seeing that with Brexit now. Um, you know, the UK is
3: if ca- the capital, the nature of the capital is increasingly virtual, right? So that means that. You just need to attract the people who are the owners of that capital and they can easily take that capital with them because it's, you know, Mark Zuckerberg can move to Bolivia and now, you know, Facebook counts towards Bolivian GDP. You see what I mean? Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, a hundred years ago, it wasn't so easy to move factory mm-hmm. to Bolivia or whatever. And so if capital is increasingly virtual, yeah, there's going to be competition for the people who are the owners of that capital. And that's a great thing.
0: So what you're saying with time and demand, the um, there's a great possibility that, um, and the competition between citizenship and investment that this will become not only popular, but more accessible. Um, Jeff, do you want to talk about it? Do you have any thoughts on this?
1: The digital nature of a global economy, the digital nature of money and the digital nature of work is clearly going to open up citizenship opportunities around the world because countries are going to see that as a way to begin drawing in smart people who are a living and can contribute to their tax base. So with the challenge, I don't, I don't know that we ever want to see citizenship at the cost of gym membership because the challenge there, and I'm just going to use Portugal as an example, the challenge is that Portugal has a very good healthcare system and it's well known globally as a good healthcare system. It's well known in America as a good healthcare system. America has a horrendous health care system. It's a good. it's good. It provides good quality care, obviously, but it is exceedingly expensive. Um, so much so, that there was a story this week about a guy who robbed a bank, old man, 60-something years old, robbed a bank simply because he wanted to get caught so he could get health care in the prison system. Um, so it, it's, a, it's an indictment to the American health care system. If we're in a situation where citizenship is $100 a month, then... Countries face the very real likelihood that you have a flood of, uh, you know, sort of people who are dying get into their healthcare system at no cost, and it creates social challenges that just anger the locals. So I don't know that we want to get to a situation where it's the cost of the gym membership.
3: Sorry, can I clarify, Jeff? I just want to clarify my argument there. Yes, I agree with you. Obviously, um, Portugal, if it were to provide the sort of uh, health uh, benefits that it's currently providing could not be charging only a hundred bucks a month uh, for for their citizenship in a market there would be there would be different value propositions at different price levels right I,
1: I see a, I see a slightly bigger challenge in all of this It goes beyond the cost is that you have a political body and you have a population that may be opposed to this um you see it in America, you saw it in Britain with the brexit thing. It's the idea that you know. In America, it's America first. You know, if you don't like it, get out. Well, it's just a political It's a political situation. You know, they don't want foreigners coming in. And because of that, you have political movement that appeals to that particular segment of the population. And now you've created this major political hurdle towards achieving this sort of citizenship utopia slash nirvana. Um, we'll get past that at some point. I'm just not sure how fast we'll get past that because- Politics and a largely uneducated base of voters creates a huge challenge in creating these opportunities. Those opportunities will ultimately manifest simply because there's going to be such a large body of people who are a like i talked about digitally you know financially digital their their workplace digital, and you know they can decide i'm out i'm going to go do something else and when when the brain drain gets large enough, that at that point, I think you're going to have a a a movement within politics um, who uh, that that basically says, "Yeah, we need to change our citizenship structure if we're going to, you know, sort of attract the right people and retain the right people."
0: Very important uh, conversation because we saw different views. Um, but one uh view that one common denominator from all of us is that um the investors um should be the ones kind of uh, you know, going at the looking at the investment and um choosing more carefully. And also we also talked about the the narrative and how important it is to have conversations like that. That are perhaps more geared towards the final consumers, we see a lot of industry players talking while we're talking right now um but the God Visa is a very easy villain um to put um in the you know like on the headlines of uh of um news uh publications and try to uh change this narrative I mean me as a public relation. And try to have this conversation more open to uh, the civil society. What do you think? Do you think this is a a way that the industry could move forward in terms of uh, trying to um, demystify the kind of uh, the villainous uh, narrative of the CBI?
1: I would argue that 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 the the organizations that promote citizenship by investment programs probably need to do a better job of outreach to politicians and not only explain the opportunities, because I think politicians recognize the opportunities, I think they need to be better at giving politicians a more creative way to structure these programs. Like I talked about with, again, going back to the Portugal example, instead of saying nobody can move to Porto, Lisbon, and the Algarve, restructure it so that people can still move to Porto, Lisbon, and Algarve, because those are clearly the three most important regions of Portugal where foreigners want to live because that's where the infrastructure is. That's where the airport is. That's all that kind of stuff. But tell, tell politicians let's restructure this in a way that brings money into sections of those, those cities, those districts, those regions that rebuild, areas that we want rebuild. We have to come at this as a much more creative position as opposed to just putting the band hammer down and saying, no more Lisbon, which is just a dumb way to do it.
0: You signed in question.
3: Yeah. I I'm unclear as to the, the question is precisely, in this case, what? how should the industry fix its image problem?
0: Is that it? Or Yeah. Yeah, you summarize it well, yeah. Okay, well... But my suggestion was... Um, kind of a civil society sort of uh, conversation and um, kind of what Patricia said as well, having more of this sort of discussion. What do you think? I, I think it's probably more efficient
3: to target the, the the demand side. That is to say, the probably, and I'm not sure, but probably the most viable path is to... Show Government, look, there is all this demand like show show Spain, look at all these digital nomads going to Portugal. here's you you want some a piece of that action well, here's you know how you should reform your program or whatever, or tell Malaysia, look at all these people going to Thailand as digital nomads don't don't you want them to come to Malaysia instead? Well, if you want that, then you should do X y and z so because I think going to the government to say, you know if you did x, y and z, you might get you know, 10,000 applicants a year or whatever. That's hypothetical, right? Yeah. It's kind of, I think that's going that direction is kind of putting the cart before the horse, so to speak. Um, yeah. I think it's better to, as an industry, then uh, governments will, will take note because people in government, you know, they, they want to stay in power. That's their primary motivation. So they will do whatever they need to do to get reelected right and if if that involves attracting right now it doesn't involve necessarily attracting digital low ads right uh in a lot of places, so that's why a lot of the politicians don't do it
0: but and what you suggest you should um do in terms of uh, um being in 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 media and um reporting often about uh c b i programs.
1: There's an opportunity to educate the mass media because a lot of the mass media works on the assumption that if somebody is moving citizenship and they're, they're going overseas, then they are trying to evade taxes. There is a huge tax narrative that has built up because politicians have spun that as, look at these people trying to evade taxes, That is not the case, I would argue, in the vast majority of situations. People are not trying to evade taxes. They are trying to find better opportunity and better chances to protect their wealth from the challenges and the pitfalls that they see in their own country. You know, there is a chance to educate the mass media on this and explain to them and show them with real anecdotes and real examples and real statistics that this is not a tax issue, that this is an opportunity and a wealth preservation issue.
0: I agree with you, Jeff. I think that's that's um, very important right now, um, and that's kind of part of my role as a PR. I'm always talking to mass media, and um, and there's a, a great uh, misunderstanding of um, how CBIs work, and um, and
3: and think, in general, I You see CBI investors as like Jason Bourne.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or worse, right? Or worse,
2: yeah. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, so there's always do, uh, we always go back to the you know a- AML, and then they all Joe play. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, but I think it's a. Com- I still think it's a combination. Um, but I do think the government's not always quite do the right thing, and and because there's a little bit of a gap. So, um, like I said, not advisory boards, but having this you know uh productive conversations and having a think tank that would say maybe for this country that would do so well and compare and contrast and see like you said see how you know malaysia is doing so great and and spain by the way they already replicated the digital nomads and and spreading like wildfire exactly like but this is this is good uh you know because obviously I'm I'm hoping that when governments look at that they will not try to, to uh Oh bad news will uh, circulate exactly. faster. So uh, so is that so this is kind of a uh active role and then and just keep at it and but opening up the discussions and not going about um same old uh rhetorics about it, I I think
3: I, I, I think we need to also stop trying to justify investment migration, to stop like trying to defend it, because we have nothing to defend.
2: No, exactly.
3: In fact, exactly. We're, we're a force for good. We're advancing the cause of liberty globally. And we should be the ones criticizing and attacking the people trying to stop that, not the other way around.
2: Yeah, I think the only, only thing that, you know, potentially, and it's something that you've touched, and this is the role of a lot of the... the residency by investment programs. Yeah. Uh, and oh.
3: digital nomad visas that have a path to residency <laughs> and then citizenship eventually, right?
2: So I think this is already happening. It is. It's not going to happen overnight, but
0: I think yeah, we're, right now we're now in a in the, in the great path. It's definitely not going to happen overnight, but I can say that right now, unfortunately, <laughs> we'll have to stop. That I am sure we'll explore in another episode, but it was great speaking to all of you. And if you haven't signed to our YouTube channel yet, please do so and you can get more treats coming your way. Thank you very much and see you next time.